Cathedral of the Rockies Amity Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I work here at Cathedral of the Rockies with Pastor Ben Kramer. And just as a reminder, you can always check out our church, Cathedral of the Rockies, on our website and on our social media platforms. There you can see what is going on in the life of our church and even connect with us online. Links are in the show notes where you can check us out. And with that, enjoy today's sermon. Some of you may know it's uh, Boise Pride Week, um, and I was out at Art in the Park with Rebecca and Foster, and we were going through to some of the stands. Her Rebecca's friend has sells candles, and so we were looking for her um, her uh, booth. And then you look up in the sky, and someone you know how much it costs to get a plane with a banner? Just lots of money, right? Well, they, someone had taken the time and the money to put a plane in the sky that said, the rainbow is God's, not yours. This is our town, Boise. And as a pastor, I'm standing there. I'm, it's my day off. I'm not allowed to think about these things, right? <laughs> I'm trying to enjoy time with my family, not get upset over stuff that's happening. And I just thought, I'm like, yeah, but God isn't just yours right? God isn't just ours. (laughs) So often God is used as a tool and a weapon against others for what we think is right, rather than growing closer to God ourselves, the God who created all things. I think one of the biggest lessons we Christians in America need to wrestle with is as soon as we get to the moment that we think we've understood all of God, that's the moment we've created an idol for ourselves. Can I get an amen for that? As soon as we reduce God to something that we believe to be completely true, God said, okay, let's push those boundaries a little bit more. Because we can't ever fathom an infinite God. God is infinitely knowable. So we need to continue growing in our understanding of God. So that's how I want to start our our conversation this morning, again, to remind you that my desire as a pastor is never to tell you what to think, but to think with you. We're going to look at scripture, we're going to contemplate these things together, and we're going to gather around the table to say that God is the one who's leading us in this dialogue. So I want to think with you over the complexities of human sexuality, specifically our transgender and uh, non-binary siblings. I want to take this seriously with you because our world and even our state takes this topic and uses it as a weapon against other people, people that we love, people that we care about, people in our own communities. Because my, my, the table is such a good metaphor for this because we see edges on this table, right? And we see someone on this side that serves you this meal every week, right? And Oftentimes, the church says that there's barriers for people who can come to this table or not, right? One of the reasons 
one of the primary reasons I'm a Methodist is that there is no barriers to this table. And the Methodists say, amen, right? We have an open table that whatever makes you you isn't a barrier to this table. Not your politics, not your sexuality, not your gender. Nothing that makes you who you are is, should be a barrier to come to Jesus. Because we remember that Jesus sat around this table with people who all thought the exact same way. No. <laughs> you had Matthew the tax collector on one side and Simon the zealot who was against Rome and tax collectors on the other. Do you think they believed the same way? Judas, who was preparing to throw a surprise birthday party for Jesus. Peter, who was also helping Judas. And no, they were planning to betray and deny Jesus, and yet Jesus still invited them to the table. See, the whole point is not to put barriers to this table, but to say what Jesus did, who offered himself so freely, to say we want to offer that reconciliation and forgiveness too, no matter where people are in their lives. But there are people in our state and in our nation that are using what makes people who they are as a tool for political power. And see, one of the most powerful and really uncomfortable messages for me, and I'm a pastor, so I get uncomfortable with this all the time, the gospel pushes me beyond my comfort zone. Because oftentimes I think I have to agree with someone before we can be in relationship together. And Jesus comes along and says, ah, love is the most important thing. Are we pursuing love even when we don't think the same way? Even if we may disagree or are uncomfortable or at different points of the conversation, can we love alike even if we don't think alike yet? <laughs> that is what pushes me and challenges me as a pastor. So I want to look at this as a way of equipping us to talk about this topic in our world today in a more wise way because this is a complex conversation. I've come to see the Bible, theology, and the church, and my walk with Jesus, not as a ways to get all the answers, but as Micah 6, 8 says, a way to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with God as we pursue understanding together. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor put it really well this way. With all the conceptual truths in the universe at his disposal, Jesus did not give them, his disciples, something to think about together when he was gone. Instead, he gave them concrete things to do, specific ways of being together in their bodies that would go on to teaching them what they needed to know when he was no longer around to teach them himself. Jesus said, do this. He didn't say, believe this, but do this in remembrance of me. So we have an open table. Our church says all means all, but do we live into that fully? Are we welcoming to all people fully around the table? The wonderful Rachel Held Evans put it this way, the first thing the world knew about Christians was that they ate together. Amen. 
one of the most central components throughout all the Bible is food, glorious food, right? You're created in a garden with what? An abundance of food. No wonder, I think Christians invented the buffet, right? Because that's, I mean, it's biblical. The buffet is biblical. But food is such a central place. Why? Because it's nourishing. It is such an essential part of who we are. And the first thing the world knew about Christians was that they ate together. And at the beginning of each week, they gathered rich and poor, slaves and free, Jews and Gentiles, women and men, to celebrate the day the whole world changed to toast the resurrection. That makes me excited about church, right? That's why we gather every week to celebrate the way the world changed. So I want to look at how this table is open to all, specifically our transgender and non-binary siblings. As I've mentioned, this is an important issue for us as a church to talk about, especially in states like ours, People are working so hard to make our LGBTQ people, our siblings, political issues and tools to subjugate their own power in the world. This is an important topic to talk about because the church should always be a voice of clarity and advocacy, especially when fellow human beings are being used as objects of political grievance in order to stoke fear into the hearts of others for the sake of political gain. Language is really important, and as one who gets confused over certain words, I brought some definitions for us today that you might find helpful around this topic. First is the definition of gender. Gender is a social or cultural construct of a person's identity, which differs from biological and physical differences, so it's different from sex. Sex is a person's biological or physical trait, which differs from gender. Transgender is an umbrella term for people whose gender identity and or expression is different from cultural expectations based on the sex that they were assigned at birth. Now, a caveat with this one, and this was... um, this was something that I learned in this conversation, was that transgender doesn't imply a specific sexual orientation, right? It's not about sex. Trans people can be gay, straight, lesbian, bisexual, non-binary, etc. So transgender doesn't imply a specific sexual orientation. Gender dysphoria. That's the psychological distress that results from an incongruence between one's sex assigned at birth and one's gender identity. Non-binary is someone who does not identify exclusively male or exclusively female. And drag is a theatrical performance of hyper-masculine or hyper-feminine characteristics. One of the things... People get really upset over drag queens recently. I don't know if you've noticed that, but drag queens have been a point of huge anger. And I grew up in the 90s. One of my favorite Disney cartoons was Mulan. Anyone else? Mulan? What happens in Mulan? Like, the, all of the main characters get dressed up in drag at the very end to invade the castle. All, all the, no one raised a hissy fit then, right? But one of the things that really grieves my heart about this whole concept is that, you know Joan of Arc? 
Do you know what one of the main charges against her why she was burned at the stake was for dressing in men's clothing? Because she didn't fit the norms of the day. We, Christians, burned her at the stake as a heretic. Now what do we call her? Saint. If there's not a lesson in there somewhere (laughs) about how we hold to such rigid categories of gender and understanding of how people present themselves in the world, I don't know what other lessons we could learn from that. Who we, burn at the heretic, who we burn at the stake one century as heretics, oftentimes we repent and say, you know, they were actually saints. Who we are excommunicating today are going to be leading the church tomorrow. So we need to be serious about how we understand these concepts in our world. And the last definition is cisgender. And this is a person whose gender identity aligns with their sex assigned at birth. Uh, Pastor Duane said, so if you're born and you get smacked on the butt as the doctor and it's like, it's a boy and you grow up and you know yourself to be a boy, that's cisgender. So I realize that I am a straight cisgender male, right? So as we read these definitions, we notice right away that there's a Bible verse for every single one of them right? No. We, as we read these right away, it seems to be very, a very complicated topic that the Bible doesn't have a clear-cut answer for. You won't find clear-cut verses about transgender or non-binary people. And in fact, the concept of marriage and human sexuality, when we're studying the Bible seriously, it's complex and nuanced all throughout the Bible, We have monogamy emphasized in the New Testament, and we have King Solomon celebrated in the Old Testament, who had how many wives, right? So this concept of biblical marriage, there isn't a single definition in Scripture. It seems from Genesis to Revelation, we have a complex conversation around human sexuality and marriage happening all the way through. So we Christians must ask seriously, why have so many people and politicians become so condemning towards our transgender and non-binary siblings? There are several common arguments that I will hear so often as a pastor to justify this negative reaction. The first one you might hear a lot is, well, in the beginning, God only created two genders. Anybody hear that argument? Okay, so I, I hear, hear that argument all the time um, in, in my conversations. And this is referring to Genesis 1:27, which says, so God created humanity in God's own image. In the image of God, God created them. Male and female, God created them. And Jesus will actually quote that passage in Matthew 19 as well. And both are often used to condemn transgender and non-binary people. And they will point to the creation narrative as God's primary design for humanity, for, for gender binary, and as for marriage as well, and say that anything different from that design is a sin. Well, to respond to this, I, I want to remind us of the beauty and complexity of the Genesis creation account. We don't need to move away from Scripture. We need to take it seriously to respond to comments like this. All throughout Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we are shown God creating, and it is, a, it is communicated by using binaries, 
dark and light, heaven and earth, land and sea, fish and birds, animals and humanity, male and female. God created all of these things. And what, what Genesis is trying to convey is that God created. Genesis assumes, it does, there's no question that God exists in Genesis. In the beginning, God. I mean, you can't, there's no real question that they believe that God exists, right? Not only does God exist, God is the creator of all things. That is the point of the Genesis account. God created all these binaries, but God also created everything in between. For example, God gave us sunrise and sunset, but do we only have sunrise and sunset? God didn't just give us sunrise and sunset. We also have dusk, dawn, midday, and all the gradients of light and darkness in between. Yes, God created birds of the air and fish of the sea, but may I introduce to you the penguin? God also created penguins who prefer to swim in the ocean rather than fly. And we have fish that can take flight out of the ocean. Wild. And don't get me started on insects. There are insects that can literally change their sex overnight to procreate on their own. Frogs as well. We have a diverse, crazy creation. And God created it all. Our creation isn't just made up of strict binary realities, but a vast array of beauty in between those binaries as well. And God created it all. Couldn't the same be true for humanity too? In all my travels over the world, from Africa, Southeast Asia, to Europe, and more, one of the most stark realities to me being raised in one of the most diverse places in the world, Nampa, Idaho. <clears throat> Growing up, born and raised there, one of the greatest shocks to me when I went in on these travels was that different cultures and especially different religions, they define gender very differently. What is meant to be a man in Rwanda was so much different than what it meant to be a man in Cambodia. When I got off the plane in the Congo, one of the first things I noticed was every grown man was holding hands with each other. And as a Nampa country boy, guess where my mind went, right? But I, as I learned, and I spent a whole summer there in Rwanda and the Congo, one of the things I learned is that that is a sign of solidarity and respect with someone who's not from that area. And where was I? In the airport. And the men would come up and grab the man's hand to lead them around so that they would not know or feel lost where they were. It was a sign that they loved them and that they were going to care for them. That's a different way of defining two men holding hands, <laughs> Right? And when I was in Cambodia, sign of strength was not speaking in a woman's presence for a man. That's very different than Nampa, Idaho, right? 
And that's just one thing alone. And that was just my experience. Who, who knows what other people may have experienced as they were going through these different places. But I have to tell you, as I was growing up in American evangelicalism, and you know, I was raised fundamentalist and moved to evangelical Christianity and then Wesleyanism as I was in college. I learned really quickly that the kind of boy and man that I was didn't fit into the social and religious construct of evangelical Christianity. They wanted John Wayne, and I was more like Mr. Rogers. <laughs> okay? <laughs> That's what they wanted. Nampa, Idaho. A man looked like and acted like and sounded like John Wayne. They wanted me to carry six shooters, and I wanted that nice flannel, you know, sweater and the shoes. And uh, you know, he wanted to, to be more gentle than what we see with John. And that didn't fit into the constructs. I have to tell you, if these definitions were around when I was young, I may have also thought, I'm, I must be non-binary, because I don't fit that extreme picture of masculinity. And friends, like, I'm a white straight guy. <laughs> but I didn't, I was not made to feel welcome in so many evangelical circles because I was sensitive. Because I took more time, I was more thought, I was more emotional. And so I was, my sexuality and my gender were questioned all the time. And I don't even have to get started on being a single pastor for the first eight years of my ministry. And how much that also impacted. Try to be unmarried, sensitive, and more emotional. <laughs> Imagine how the church just opens up their arms and says, we accept you for who you are. No. I felt so unwelcome and ostracized. It was, it was a weekly battle to just be accepted. And I'm a straight white guy. So I can't imagine what it would be like to be in the LGBTQ community. If I was feeling that way, and I was trying to check all the boxes off, I can't imagine how unwelcome my transgender and non-binary siblings would be. It's important to understand that while the Bible says male and female, while what those constructs meant in ancient Israel may not be the same way that we define them in 21st century America, let alone how these constructs are defined by others around the world and everything in between in this diverse world. Yet scripture confesses about this huge, beautiful diversity is that God saw everything that he made and it was supremely good. Amen? Amen. This is an all-incredible diversity of humanity. Another design argument that I will hear often used against trans people is also from the creation perspective. It goes something like this. God created you one way, so to change what God created is a sin. What I find really interesting about this argument is how it misses a particular text that I've heard so often used by Christians to justify changing, manipulating, and dominating the earth. <laughs> as a way for human, humanity to rule over it. That text is Genesis 1.28, which says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. 
All through church history, theologians have seen this as God creating humanity and God's own image to be co-creators and partners in caring for and ruling over creation. What, what is more is that this argument seems to neglect that we change our bodies all the time. <laughs> Countless boys are circumcised just days after birth. Countless people have cosmetic surgery, laser eye surgery, hip replacement, and the list goes on and on. Is this messing with God's original design? Here again, we must walk away from strict binary thinking and be reminded of the diversity in between as well. And my friends, this is where I think it's so important. One of the most untalked about topics in the Bible is the role of the eunuch, which is all throughout Scripture. So I want to just spend the last little bit here looking at the role of the eunuch. I'll just say about the eunuchs in the Bible that they were simultaneously, because eunuchs were uh, castrated people, and they were considered in the ancient world to be both men and non-men at the same time. They were seen as being in between man and a woman, not fitting in at all into their cultural constructs of masculinity or femininity. A eunuch was considered an in-between person, not a full person. And even if you read in Deuteronomy 23.1, it says explicitly that eunuchs were to be seen as unclean and not allowed to worship in the temple. So they were pushed out, even according to God's law. But then something incredible happens in the Old Testament. Isaiah comes along and God says through Isaiah, and let no eunuch say I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me and holds fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name that is better than sons and daughters." I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That's Isaiah 56, 3 through 5. But did you catch that? God will give them a name that is better than sons and daughters. These individuals who do not fit in masculinity or feminine categories of the day, God says, I will give you a name better than sons and daughters. God acknowledges their differences as eunuchs and accepts them as they are giving them a name that is better than sons and daughters. And Jesus, if we, we want to just say, some Christians will say, yeah, but that's just the Old Testament. That's also something I hear all the time. Like, okay, well, just throwing out half the Bible when you, when you want to, right? But even Jesus in Matthew 19, 12 says this, for there are eunuchs who were born that way. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who have chose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. For those who can accept this message should accept it. Jesus. Now, just like we can't find an exact parallel of a transgender person from the 21st century in the Bible, we also can't see an exact parallel of a, 21st, of a first century eunuch from the Bible in our culture today. Yet what we do see in Scripture is that one's gender and sexual identity, as we see in the eunuch, is not a barrier in God's eyes from being fully included in God's people. 
This point is driven home for Christians in the New Testament with the baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. God created all of humanity in God's own image. We could go on and on, and there are very, very staunch arguments against these things. And from my readings of Scripture, though, I simply don't see any justification for the hostility and the aggression that we are seeing towards our transgender and non-binary siblings. In fact, I see compassion and inclusion called for by the Bible. Our response to our trans siblings and our non-binary siblings matters because it impacts their lives, my friends. The NIH reports that 82% of transgender people have considered killing themselves. 82%. And when it comes to teens, nearly 50% have attempted suicide. How does this not break our hearts? How is hostile legalism at all helpful in this topic? If you are in a moment where you are considering hurting yourself, would you please consider calling 988, which is the crisis and suicide hotline? Please stay with us. You matter. So I want to end as I started today. I don't have all the answers, and I really don't think any of us do. What we do know is that human sexuality is going through a revolutionary period and public conversation it is okay to not have all the answers, and it is okay to have questions and doubts. I know I have so many questions myself, like questions regarding metaphysical views of the body and soul and relationship to gender and sexual identity, but I'm a nerd, and I want to know these things. I wonder about the relationship between medical technology, self-acceptance, and Christian theology. I wonder and stress over how I'm going to talk to my little boy about human sexuality in a wise way, especially when he starts asking his own questions when he's older. I have so many questions. Yet even in the midst of not understanding fully, I believe God is calling us to rush to compassion and humility and acceptance and not hostility and legalism. Even when we don't understand fully, we can love fully. I want to end with this quote from someone you might know. <laughs> Though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. Without all doubt, we may. Herein, all God's children may unite, notwithstanding these smaller differences. John Wesley. My friends, as we navigate these important, complicated issues of our day, May we always understand that these topics impact real lives. And if we don't handle them with compassion, care, and acceptance, we may be doing real harm with where we stand. May the church be a welcoming, safe, and accepting place for all, especially our trans. Thanks for listening today. Here at Cathedral of the Rockies, our motto is all means all, and we strive to truly live this out. You can help be a part of this by giving to us online. 
Here at the Amity campus specifically, we feed the hungry through our very active food pantry. Also, we are building up our children and youth programs so that we can serve all families in our area and then also provide safe spaces for them to just be themselves. All means all. Any amount given is an investment that allows us to continue to serve those who join us in person and online and serve the growing neighborhoods around our church building. There is a link in the show notes where you can give online. Thanks again for joining us today and have a great rest of your day.